This is Inside Geneva. I'm your host, Imogen Folks, and this is a Swiss Info production. In today's programme... I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. I'm going to put myself back in January, and I'm going to say that it was very positive. Trump was gone. Biden was in, and he promised that by July 4th, everything would be okay. Leader Vladimir Putin arrived first. He was greeted by the Swiss president, who then welcomed Joe Biden. Melting in that tent outside the villa where the Putin and Biden were meeting, it was supposed to be a re-entry of the U.S. into multilateralism. As COVID cases spiral upward and new warnings resound, people in many parts of the world find themselves wondering if the summer respite we'd hoped for could come to an abrupt end. No real perspective on when this is going to end. We had this kind of summer of hope where cases were going down and and then Omicron comes along and, and we have this question, where are we going to be in six months, nine months, 12 months time? Last year, we were beginning with this lockdown and we were like, oh my God, not again. And here now we are in, in December and Omicron, boom. Well, hello and welcome to Inside Geneva. This is our end of year journalist special where I and some colleagues of mine are going to take a look back at the year that was 2021 and if we're brave enough maybe have a look forward to 2022. My guests today are Gabriella Sotomayor, a many years colleague of mine here in Geneva. We're often on the same stories and she is correspondent for the Mexican magazine Proceso. Nick Cumming-Bruce, contributor to the New York Times, and our analyst, Daniel Warner. Welcome to you all. Um, Maybe let's start, let's remind ourselves how 2021 began. It was perhaps the only traditional part of what was a subdued night. The sound of Big Ben ringing in the new year. Down below, a few hundred people had defied the guidance to stay indoors. Guys, come on, come on, come on. But they were soon moved on by the police. Because it began in lockdown. And now here we are at the end of 22. Nick, I can see you laughing bitterly already. Gabriella, I'm going to ask you first. I mean, when we started 21 and we were thinking, oh, no, here we go again. Did you think we'd be in the same place at the end of this year? Hi, hello. Well, thank you for inviting me. And, you know, um, I don't want to say anything because anything can happen. So last year we were beginning with this lockdown and we were like, oh, my God, not again. And here now we are in, in December and we were like trying to make plans maybe for the end of the year or something more relaxed. And suddenly Omicron, boom. So I don't dare to make any prediction. I hope we are not going to be in the same scenario. But at, as I read, and this is maybe, maybe highly transmissible. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't say anything. Really. Too early to say. And how many times have we said that over the course of this year? This thing always seems to be one step ahead of us. But 
Nick, it's kind of really dominated our year, hasn't it? Both is personal life and our, and our professional life. Well, in both departments, completely, yeah. And I mean, journalistically, it's been so miserable because it's introduced so much distance between us and the people we want to interact with and have conversations over a coffee or in the corridor of the Human Rights Council or some other forum where you can just meet people personally. And we're cut off from these people. Then we have all the sort of the family distances that we're, we're constantly sort of fretting about and no real perspective on when this is going to end. That, as, as uh, Gabriella was saying, you know, we had this kind of summer of hope where cases were going down and we began to think that life might begin to establish some sort of pattern and we could live with this kind of flu variant. And then, as she says, Omicron comes along and, and we have this question, where are we going to be in six months, nine months, 12 months time? And so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a grim scenario. This is one of the hardest things about it, isn't it, is that you can't plan not even for difficult things you might need to do, like visiting a family member in another country who may not be very well, or even like this. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, I was writing to you guys saying, we're going to record this in the UN radio studios. We're going to have Gluvine and Christmas biscuits and do our end of your podcast like that. Uh-uh, no way. Here we are back in the virtual studio. Um, and all I've got in front of me is a glass of water. Danny, you were raising your hand there. I'm going to put myself back in January, and I'm going to say that it was very positive. Trump was gone. <laughs> Biden was in, and he promised that by July 4th, everything would be OK. So we started the year with the problem, but it seemed that there were solutions, and at least the Trump era was over. So from the point of view of Geneva, oh, OK, we're going to get better. We're back. Multilateralism is back. There'll be action in Geneva and Biden will solve the pandemic problem. That brings me quite neatly, I guess, onto one of the other things I thought we might discuss. Although we could wryly say Trump was easier to get rid of than COVID. I don't know what that says about either of them. Um, is that They're both coming back? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> My God. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, oh God, no, my palms are starting no. to sweat. <laughs> no, um, no, no, no. Just try and be serious for a moment. You raised Biden. Of course, he was here. This is the moment the world has been waiting for to see these two leaders side by side. And in a moment, they will be face to face across a conference table at that villa in Geneva. This is I was going to ask you guys about, you know, standout stories of 2021. Well, that was a high point for Geneva, wasn't it? I mean, Gabrielle, I remember you and I um, melting in that tent outside the villa where the Putin and Biden were meeting. It was supposed to be a reset kind of relations. We were also supposed to be maybe looking at a re-entry of the US into multilateralism. How do we think that's panned out so far? Danny, then Gabriella. Well, the thing that impressed me on June the 16th was when Biden stepped down from Air Force One, there was no American ambassador in Geneva at the time. And there still isn't one a year after. So the fact that he announced that we're back, the fact that Tony Blinken is Secretary of State and speaks French, 
we still have problems in Geneva with the WTO, Conference on Disarmament, World Health Organization. So we haven't seen an American leadership in multilateralism that we all thought was going to happen when Biden was elected. Gabriella, do you see this year more evidence of U.S. input in U.N. affairs to do with refugees, for example? Or? Well, I, I have uh, several things to say about the, the, the Biden and, and Putin meeting. I thought it was going to be different with Biden because he was promising, you know, coming back to Geneva and multilateralism and everything. But the way they treat the press, for example, only traveler press was there in the press conference. We were melting in the in front of them, but we, we weren't invited. So I saw Biden and Putin, uh, like if I was watching on TV. So I saw that, Putin's car well, with him in it, but that yeah, was it. Exactly. A, a fleeting glimpse. Yeah. And, and a lot of cars and, you know, uh, yeah, big uh, delegations. But that was something that I didn't like at the beginning. And then during this year, well, I cover uh, more stories on human rights. And uh, I didn't see during this year the loud and clear voice of USA defending uh, human rights at the Human Rights Council. They were there, but kind of shy. They were not like you know, strong voice. And uh, I, I didn't like that. The, the only thing that I, uh, this meeting with Putin and, and, and Biden, the, the only thing that I rescue was his, his defense of, of democracy. That, that was so important for me because of the situation of democracies in Latin America, talking about uh, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Cuba, and populism in Latin America also as well racing in Mexico. So with that, I rescued that part of, of the conference, but that was my, uh, you know, my experience with the meeting. Nick, what about you? Because obviously you're right out of Geneva for the New York Times. I mean, have you sensed, even from the editors, is there a renewed interest in what the US is doing on the Geneva stage, on the multilateral stage? Well, I think there's great hope that multilateralism, you know, may find a, a bit more vigor and momentum than obviously it did under the previous administration, which seemed bent on tearing it apart. So I, I take Danny's point and, and the positive opening of the year in, in good part. I, I guess it all has a slight sense of fragility. You know, Biden came to Geneva to meet Putin. That's good. We see that there is some kind of bilateral discussion going on, which seems to provide a channel for sort of rational conversations between them. That's good. But then we have this confrontation over Ukraine. Uh, we have a, a discussion as we speak that seems to be going on, or a bilateral conversation that's going on between Biden and Putin, which shows that none of these issues have really advanced as we, so far as we can see to a significant degree. And then as Gabriella mentioned, we don't hear the United States very prominently in the Human Rights Council. Uh, it will return to the Human Rights Council in 2022 as a full member, but potentially without an ambassador to represent it there, which is extraordinary. And it just shows the extent to which the United States return to multilateralism is still very much at the behest or, or still very much vulnerable to the bipartisan uh, the partisanship that is dividing the United States political apparatus so profoundly. And again, 
you know, the United States comes back to multilateralism and to the World Health Organization. And yet, as we start this conversation about a pandemic treaty, we again have the United States saying, actually, we don't terribly like treaties. So let's be a minority voice on that. Let's try and go for something else. So fragility, uh, where is it all leading? Those are the kind of the, the dominant sensations I have at, at the end of the year. Getting to the point, though, that we, we really need to stop always looking to the United States for leadership in multilateral affairs. And also, surely other countries in Europe in particular, they need to look at what they are doing. I mean, we are in the middle of a pandemic, and yet multilateralism seems to have run out of steam at the very moment when we can see clearly how much we would need a multilateral effort. Danny, you are waving both hands, wanting to come in. Yeah, because, I mean, I I think that's a good point, uh, Imogen. If Geneva is the Rome of multilateralism, then the UN Secretary General is the Pope, and the re-election of Gutierrez was a non-event. It just kind of went by. The Security Council recommends that Mr. Antonio Guterres be appointed Secretary General of the United Nations for a second term. And what we see, as Nick talked about, the fragility of the general geopolitical situation, I can't say the UN is in crisis because someone says it's always in crisis, but we have not seen the UN taking a a serious leadership role, either in the pandemic or other things. And I think that's had enormous implications for Geneva and certainly for the journalists here in Geneva. Is that the Secretary General's fault, do you think, Gabriella, or is it just the, the massive challenges and ideological disagreements between member states? Well, you know, um, I think it's both of the of those things. Um, so uh, what, what I would say is that I'm kind of disappointed with the Secretary General because when we had him here at the front of the refugee agency, he was very active, you know, strong statements, uh, a lot of uh, quotes to write about uh, what he said. It was really strong. And when he went to New York and to lead the, the UN, I am like, oh, where is Guterres? What happened? What happened with him? I don't know if it's the apparatus or the, I don't know what it is, but I think that I miss in personally that voice, that strong voice, that leadership. And uh, in Geneva as well, because, uh, you know, there's a lot of difference between member states. I think uh, Guterres uh, with this pandemic should be more in the hand of the WHO. Some events we had with him and and Dr. Tedros, the WHO DG, but uh, I think he should be in the stage with him and give his strong leadership for this situation because inequity of vaccines, this COVAX failure, a lot of issues around the pandemic, I think he should address them more strongly along with the WHO leadership. What do you think, Nick? I mean, when he started, I, like like Gabriella, I, I always thought I knew Antonio Guterres very well as, as High Commissioner for Refugees, and he was very outspoken, um, really stepping up to the plate for people who've been who have to flee persecution. I kind of got the impression he wanted to stake his Secretary Generalship to a certain extent on doing something about climate change, and even that 
doesn't seem to be working too well. No, I, I don't think we can fault him on the climate issue. I think he's conspicuously weak on the issue of human rights, which is disappointing, obviously, to, to the Geneva constituency, where human rights is such a big part of what we cover. But his attempts to frame climate change as, a, as an existential challenge has been quite strong, particularly in the build-up to and during COP26 in Glasgow. But three degrees of global warming would be catastrophic. Heat waves, droughts, extreme precipitation, even fire. And I think he continues to struggle with the crippling economic weakness of the United Nations. He tries to speak out, I think, on the major conflict crises that come out in, in, in a fairly timely way, but his voice is muffled. And the hard fact is that it, the UN is overshadowed by the irreconcilable gaps or differences between the permanent members of the Security Council who manage to paralyze every initiative rather than create that kind of bridge and some kind of coherent international response to international issues. Have we got a positive story out of the international organisations in Geneva for 2021? Looking at the, the, the catastrophe of Afghanistan, could we say that the UN aid agencies, the humanitarian organisations held to their nerve? Well, everybody else didn't. Winter has come to Afghanistan, and with its skyrocketing need for aid to millions of desperate Afghans, international humanitarian groups are working to stave off widespread hunger while providing other services under a Taliban regime widely considered a pariah. Well, to some extent, and I've said this before, the UN aid agencies have been kind of band-aids. I mean, they're running around, be it in Lesbos or wherever, dealing with the refugees, the Red Cross is dealing with the humanitarian crisis all over the world. Uh, they need more money. Uh, they're trying to do the best they can, but it mostly is Band-Aids. Uh, there's very little being done about prevention. Uh, and it does seem to me that, that that's the problem now, as Nick talks about the lack of uh, fragility, the lack of role of the UN. Uh, just being a Band-Aid and humanitarian agencies, is that enough when you have 175,000 Russian troops on the border of Ukraine, the UN is all supposed to deal with peace and security. And that seems to me to be the weakness, but that's New York, whereas Geneva's aid agencies are doing the best they can in these crises, perpetual crises. Gabriella, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, on the refugee side, talking about uh, this crisis, migrant crisis from Central America to the USA, uh, these caravans that are coming, you know, one after the other, and now uh, the government of, of the of the of Mexico and the government of USA they agreed to continue with this Remain in Mexico program, the one that is that all the uh, asylum seekers go to the USA, uh, apply for the for the for their request, and going back to Mexico. So in that way, the UN uh, Refugee Agency, they are very loud and clear about not to do that. I mean, they are against these. The high commissioner was in Central America and Mexico in a mission. And he spoke with a lot of, uh, with the presidents of the region. He's really active 
in those issues. So I'm glad that uh, the, the refugee agency, they are following this situation, following the situation of, of the asylum seekers in the north of Mexico, that they are really vulnerable because of the situation of, of violence, cartels, gangs in, in the north of Mexico. So I'm glad of that. So this was a story that I, I was following during the year, and I, I wrote a lot about that, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad on, on that side. So for you then, the effort being made out of Geneva on this particular humanitarian situation is very valuable, very noticeable. They are energetic. So that's a plus. Nick, what's been your standout, apart from COVID, what's your standout story as a journalist of 2021? Ooh. Um, I guess my focus always tends to be very much around the human rights environment here um, and, you know, its response to the crises that uh, come up as we speak. Um, harking back a little bit to what you're referring to about humanitarian agencies, I mean, we're watching this extraordinary crisis unfold in, in, in Afghanistan, where you have layers of humanitarian and political crisis interacting and whereas Danny said the sticking plaster side of it is, is very conspicuous because humanitarian aid can't solve you know what is essentially an economy in collapse precisely because of the political isolation into which a Taliban-led regime uh, is being thrust and we have Martin Griffith you know the humanitarian aid coordinator starkly saying as he asks for 41 billion dollars in assistance um, you know, the only way we're going to get through this is if states recommit funds to the state apparatus in, in Afghanistan. And, and so we're in a kind of political stalemate there. And, and that, I thought, presented very neatly the kind of issues that are confronting the humanitarian agencies, you know, in, in a lot of different contexts. Other stories this year, I suppose one outlier was a Swiss story, um, which was the conviction by a Swiss court of a Liberian warlord, which was an interesting case. 20 ans pour Aliukosia, l'ex-chef rebelle libérien ramené cet après-midi en prison dans ce fourgon blindé. À l'issue du premier procès de ce type de l'histoire pénale civile en Suisse, les juges de Bellinzone l'ont reconnu coupable de crimes de guerre. It was the first Liberian warlord to be prosecuted and it was one of the first times that the Swiss federal courts have used the potential of universal jurisdiction to prosecute someone who's guilty of, of war crimes and crimes against humanity. So it was a very significant case. And I think it was interesting, too, because it, it flagged, I think, a little bit how universal jurisdiction is coming into play more and more. We've seen a series of cases in Germany. We'll have a big case in Finland next year where another Liberian, somebody who is engaged in Liberian atrocities will be prosecuted there. So it, it was a, an interesting case, which one hopes is emblematic of war crimes and international crimes being prosecuted, regardless of whether or not there are national jurisdictions that are going to pursue it. That's a story I followed too, but just though quickly turn to Afghanistan, shameless plug, because the next podcast but one, start of 2022, is going to be all about the humanitarian concerns over Afghanistan. We'll have the International Committee of the Red Cross. We'll have humanitarian agencies on the ground in Afghanistan. So do tune into that. My story of 2021 was also not directly UN related, but it has to do with rights and equality. And it was about 
commemorating something that happened half a century ago in February 1971, when Swiss women finally, finally got (laughs) the right to vote. And it was fascinating because men had to vote in that referendum. They'd already said no twice in two previous referenda, Nana, where they can't vote. Finally, in 71, the men went to the ballot box and said, you can vote. One of the arguments um, not giving the women the, the right to vote was because their brains are too small. Yes, yes, we can. I'm just a very engaged person and I've been all my life. Because I can, I should participate and vote and give my voice. I never missed any of these votations or elections. I always went and my daughters do the same. So somehow I taught them that they, that this political right is important for us in Switzerland. And it was so much fun and moving to talk to three different women, one who's in her 80s, who spent time not being able to vote, one in her late 50s, who has never missed a vote and her daughters neither. And then a young woman, student colleague of one of my sons, also never misses a vote. And it was really a really nice historical perspective. Danny, what about you, your story of the year? Well, I'm going to follow what you just said, Imogen. For the first time in its history, the Red Cross has a woman coming in as the president for the first time in its history. The Graduate Institute has a woman as director, and we're going to see if the World Economic Forum can have a woman to replace Klaus Schwab. Mm, I wouldn't hold your breath. (laughs) (laughs) Gabrielle, you had your hand up as well. No, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say some uh, stories that I had uh, also, but they were UN and they were very important for me and for the region. It was, I did as a, an interview with a committee of enforced disappearances. And we talk about cases in Mexico, cases in Venezuela. And uh, it was really interesting. I got a lot of uh, comments uh, of people there in Mexico. So th- these committees and these interviews, I, I think they are hope and give a little bit of voice to victims and people in our countries and countries in in Latin America. So that was really uh, good for me. And um, also stories about uh, Cuba, for example, with these manifestations and special reporters saying that there must be freedom of speech in, in in the Cuban islands. So it was, those stories were really, really good for me. And, you know, of course, COVID and all that. Yeah. But this is important stuff that you raise because this is the hard day-to-day work that the UN bodies do, that as you say, they do bring people to a certain amount of accountability and they do bring hope and they do take a record of people's experiences and sometimes very difficult experiences. We are almost at the end of this program. So I'm going to ask you each, you've got about 30 seconds each, what are you going to be following in 2022? Um, COVID, of course, but what else? Nick? Um, Human Rights Council, the US returning as a full member. Will it be represented by an ambassador? And how will we see it dealing with what has become a much more aggressive and assertive China in the context of the Human Rights Council? Danny? I want to see how the agencies based in Geneva can be resilient As the world changes, the pandemics are with us, there are more NGOs, and to see if they can deal with the future as well as finance. Gabriella? 
Yeah, the same. I will follow Human Rights Council and, you know, I, we have, we are obliged to follow COVID-19. So let's see what the 22 will bring. Yeah, well, we all hope we're going to have some relief from COVID, but not, I think, in the first couple of months of 2022, for sure. So I'm going to be following that. I'm also going to be looking at, we saw this, as you mentioned, massive appeal, humanitarian appeal. 2022 is looking pretty difficult on the humanitarian crisis front. We've got a lot of warnings about famine. That is one thing I'm going to be tracking. Human Rights Council as well. And progress, it will be inching, I'm sure, but progress towards a pandemic treaty. Member states say they're quite interested in having it, but are we going to get one? We will see. On that note, Gabriella, Nick and Danny, thank you very much for joining me. That's it for Inside Geneva for this week. We hope you found it interesting. Thank you all for listening. A reminder, you've been listening to Inside Geneva, a Swiss Info production. You can email us on insidegeneva at swissinfo.ch and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Let us know what you think of the programme and check out our previous episodes from a long, hard look at the United Nations, now it's 75, to an account of 10 years of war in Syria to the history of how the international treaties on landmines and on enforced disappearances came about. I'm Imogen Folks. Thank you for listening and do join us again on Inside Geneva. Discover science and innovation in Switzerland with the Swiss Connection podcast. In the current series, we visit CERN and explore what they're up to next in their quest to solve the mysteries of the universe. We uncover groundbreaking discoveries in a Roman archaeological site and get the first glimpse of an exciting supersonic plane powered by hydrogen. From the tiniest particles to the vastness of space, Satisfy your scientific curiosity by listening to the Swiss Connection podcast for a mind-expanding experience with Swiss Info. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow or subscribe to get your latest episode on time. Swiss Info.